Well, we've got some special treats for you this morning. Um, but why don't we start with our meditation? So I'll ask you to get comfortable. If you have anything in your lap, maybe you'd like to take it out. You don't have to. But the wad that you brought to drop into the plate, that, you know, just set it aside. Uh, now, with your eyes closed, let me remind you of something that you know very deep in your heart. You know that there has been a friend always with you. There was a friend with you when you were pulled out, possibly crying, covered with all kinds of stuff on the birthing table. There was a friend with you at that time that silently whispered, everything's going to be all right. And as you were taken home, there was a friend who rode with you. And there was a friend who watched over you in your cradle and in your crib and went with you to your first day at school. There was a friend who was with you that one particular Christmas day in which you didn't get the toy that you so much wanted to have. Once again, your friend whispered, Everything's going to be all right. I am always with you. And in the fights that you had on the playground, and the rising and sinking swells of popularity that you went through, the illnesses that you had, the difficulties that surround you at home, the triumphs that you experienced at school, you were elected class treasurer. Into high school and after, this friend held your hand as you fell in love and fell out of love. As you took your first job. And as possibly you too had your first child. Now, those of you who have come to this church have heard us speak often of surrounding in light. And possibly you have done this. Possibly you have surrounded someone in light who's, who's unhappy, who's sick. Possibly you have surrounded someone in your office or in your home in light repeatedly to brush away any grievances, any dark feelings, any fears. But now I want you to experience something that maybe you have not yet experienced. As you sit there with your eyes closed, remembering however vaguely this friend who has always been with you, please now let this friend surround you in light. And so I will be silent now 
and feel what this is like. And now with your eyes still closed, please shift your mental gaze and see how each person here is being surrounded in light. See how each person here is so dearly loved and watched over. And know that this is true of everyone who has ever come or whoever will come until this whole earth be nothing but light. This prayer has been attributed to St. Francis. I have heard several versions of this prayer. This one is found at the end of the book called 24 Hours a Day, put out by Hazelden, which is in uh, Minnesota. It's in Center City, Minnesota. Let me read it to you. If you'd like to close your eyes, you can. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's discord, union. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is dying to self that we are born to eternal life. This is also a wonderful little pamphlet. The Practice of the Presence of God written in 1692 by Brother Lawrence and this pamphlet is published by Forward Movement Publications Cincinnati, Ohio. I can give you a fuller address afterwards if you'd like it. I'm not going to read this pamphlet to you, but I do want to read one little parenthetical paragraph, something he just has in, in a parenthesis in here. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, and that done, if there is nothing else to call me, I prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. 
It is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. I have one more reading, and this is from A Course in Miracles. Because we hear devotion such as that of St. Francis and Brother Lawrence. And possibly you think of these two men's lives. And surely you don't want to go through what St. Francis went through. Nor are you called upon to do that. Each person has his or her own way of opening the heart. And so the question is, how do we open our heart? How do we feel such devotion? How could it even occur to us that as we flip our jack and the jack fries in the pan, we say, ah, I have nothing to do. And we prostrate ourselves on the ground and turn to our Father who is in heaven. Would it even occur to us to do that? It would not occur to you to do anything else if your heart was as full of love and you felt the closeness and the presence of God as these two men obviously did at times. And so the question is, how do we do that? This is from page 541 of the text, which is the first volume of A Course in Miracles. Once you were unaware that the cause of everything the world appeared to thrust upon you was your own doing. You thought it was uninvited and unasked. Of one thing you were sure, of all the many causes you perceived as bringing pain and suffering to you, your guilt was not among them nor did you in any way request them for yourself. This is how all illusions came about. The one who makes them does not see himself as making them, and their reality does not depend on him. Whatever cause they have is something quite apart from him, and what he sees is separate from his mind. He cannot doubt his dream's reality because he does not see the part he plays in making them and making them seem real. No one can waken from a dream the world is dreaming for him. He becomes a part of someone else's dream. He cannot choose to waken from a dream he did not make. Helpless he stands a victim of a dream conceived and cherished by a separate mind. Careless indeed of him his mind must be, as thoughtless of his peace and happiness as is the weather or the time of day. It loves him not. But cast him as it will in any role that satisfies its dream. So little is his worth that he is but a dancing shadow, leaping up and down according to a senseless plot conceived within the idle dreaming of the world. 
This is the only picture you can see, the one alternative that you choose, the other possibility of cause, if you be not the dreamer of your dreams. And this is what you choose if you deny the cause of suffering is in your mind. Be glad indeed it is, for thus are you the one decider of your destiny in time. The choice is yours to make between a sleeping death and dreams of evil or a happy wakening and joy of life. What could you choose between but life or death, waking or sleeping, peace or war, your dreams or your reality? There is a risk of thinking death is peace because the world equates the body with the self which God created. Yet a thing can never be its opposite. And death is the opposite to peace because it is the opposite of life. And life is peace. Awaken and forget all thoughts of death and you will find you have the peace of God. When we talk about assuming responsibility, and we talk about the part that we play, and we bandy about phrases such as everything is our own choice, and nothing comes to us but that which we have called upon, the ego part of our mind feels instantly guilty. Because it assumes that the world is a guilty place, that it is a bad place, Or at least that there is much badness and wickedness and evil and shame and betrayal in the world. But if the world is a dream. And if your child had a a dream of a monster. Would you call your child a monster? Because he dreamed last night of a monster? even if he dreamed that he himself were a monster, would you not pick him up in your arms and pat his little head and hug him and kiss him and say to him, just as your friend has always said to you, everything's going to turn out all right. It's okay. I am always with you. And that's all we must do is allow ourselves to be picked up out of this dream. The dream is our choice, but the picking up comes from our friend. We do not yet realize that our friend is one with ourself, that the heart of our friend beats with our heart, and that the self of God leaves nothing out. And so at this point, we seem very much in a world that is not of our own making. And it appears that anything can happen. Almost anything can happen when we wake in the morning that will snatch our peace from us. Why? Isn't it clear 
that this thing snatched our peace because we made it more important than the peace of God? If we had the devotion of St. Francis, our brother Lawrence, could that possibly happen? Nothing has to go right today. Because all you want is the peace of God. May I ask you to join with me for just a moment in closing your eyes, looking in your heart, and saying to yourself, I know in my heart that the devotion that was expressed in the songs that Tui led us in, in the prayer of St. Francis, in the little paragraph in parentheses written by Brother Lawrence, I know that that devotion is mine. I know that in my heart I want nothing but the peace of God. That there is nothing in this world that will satisfy me. That the only thing that will satisfy me is joining with my God and myself. Look in your heart now and I will be silent and say to yourself, this devotion I know in my heart is mine, and I choose now to become a saint. Don't be afraid to be holy. Don't be afraid to be the essence of Muktananda. Don't be afraid to be Mother Teresa. Don't be afraid to be Brother Lawrence. Don't be afraid to be Jesus. Your holiness is your happiness. This calls for no special behavior. This calls for no piousness. Because to have a devotion like that, you recognize every living thing as your kin, and every man and woman, and every child, and every infant, as your brother and your sister. How could you possibly look down at them? They feel the equality that you feel because you are a holy person. On this day, July the 10th, 1983, you have been declared a saint. Be a saint from this moment on. And every time you slip, and how often did St. Francis slip? And Brother Lawrence, and Jesus. How often did they admit to slipping? And what did they do? They went right back to being a saint. They did not wallow for one instant in what they had done. Because to wallow in it is to make the same mistake once again. Now, this morning, I thought one thing that we could do is, uh, is talk a little bit about uh, some questions that were raised about last Sunday's talk. This is just so wonderful if, ever you find yourself doing this kind of thing in life, 
uh, all you have to do is give one talk, and then, and then the comments that come from that provide the meat of the next talk, and it's just, it's all, all the work's done for you. So last Sunday, we talked about a very, very simple concept, and that is, do not do anything until you are absolutely sure, until you are completely at peace. Wait until you see that you are not conflicted about the thing that you are about to do, no matter how minor it is. Pause until you see that this is indeed what you want to do. Not that it's right. Not it's the perfect thing. Not that you've eliminated all the alternatives, but simply that you would like to do this and that you will do it without guilt. We talked about that last Sunday, and one of the questions that was raised was, but what about duty and responsibility? And of course, it could appear as if those are mutually exclusive. That if you were to simply follow your peaceful preference, and to do only what made your heart sing, or at least choose between the happiest of alternatives, choose the thing that was most peaceful, and most likely to make you happy. Or at least pick the thing that is least fearful. If fear seems to be your only choice, and so many of our choices seem to be only fear. I've seen this especially in counseling women who are trying to decide whether or not they should have an abortion. There is so much fear in this world now about having children. Of course, that the average parent feels that their choice is only between one fear and another fear. But at least see the degree of fear. Choose the lesser fear. The lesser fear has more opportunity for peace. And the more opportunity there is for peace, the more opportunity there is for your heart to sing. And I promise you that when your heart is singing, you will do your duty. You will be responsible. These are not mutually exclusive. There is no selfishness in this concept, in the ego sense of the word. There is none whatsoever. You are selfish when you are caught up in a conflict, when there is a battle, even a little unrecognized, unconscious battle going on in your mind. That's when you tend to be selfish and not be sensitive to the people around you and not do what would be so easy to do to make someone happy or put them at ease. Another point that was brought up was... Uh, do you mean that after I make my decision, I'm not supposed to reconsider? Did you actually say that? Yes. Lo, I said that. Now, of course, you don't make a fetish out of any of this stuff. That's what the ego wants to do. It wants to translate into behavior. It wants to translate every spiritual concept into behavior, lock into the behavior, and then make some rigid rule that runs roughshod over everyone's feelings, over your own health and everything else. And so, of course, you don't wish to do that. 
this country was engaged in a, take your pick of the number, 16-year war. Possibly we should have reconsidered, say, year 12, you see. Of course, it's all right to reconsider as you cut the mole off your cheese. If you've made the decision to cut the mole off your cheese, don't reconsider. Ah, but it's not elegant. This is, uh, this is blue cheese. I, I don't know why they call it blue cheese. The blue, of course, uh, are the germs or the bacteria, if you like bacteria better. I like germs. <laughs> These are little communities, little communes. Perhaps spiritual, I don't know. <laughs> of bacteria. And uh, have you noticed how they're changing the names of everything now? Uh, it's uh, There's got to be a, a little... Uh, uh, well, like, for example, Paul Newman has come out with a uh, spaghetti sauce that's called industrial strength. You see. And then we have Rocky Road ice cream. So you can eat it and still feel like a man. You see. Or there is mud pie. Now, could mud pie possibly put on one little teeny ounce of adipose to your cute little body? Of course not. So we should call this germ cheese. I'm sure it would sell twice as much, you know. Billion bacteria breed. Now, that would sell the product, you see. Just slice off the top white layer and eat it alone, you see. So, it's the little decisions that you need not reconsider. If suddenly you find that, that your peace is shattered by some thought, even the thought that possibly you made a mistake, then, of course, it's all right to sit down again and ask yourself, what do I want to do? My mind is in a turmoil over what I have decided. Sit down and see if you wish to change your decision. But I can tell you this, that after you have practiced and practiced and practiced this procedure, and it does indeed require much practice to do things in certainty and peace, not in arrogance, but with sureness. It takes tremendous practice and devotion to be able to go through just one simple act, just slicing the banana, You read the article about uh, I won't tell this will put a fear in your mind so I won't tell you but there was a very damaging article on bananas but there were bananas in a certain state now you've got something to worry about because I'm not going to tell you the state <laughs> uh, so just a slice slice of banana good because I bet you are not using the knife the way your mommy told you to. You are, you're pulling the blade this way towards you, aren't you? And yet you still have the tip of your thumb, and this was promised to be lopped off. So you know this is coming, do you see? Turn and slice the banana that way. So what can we do? You sit, you become peaceful, Surround yourself and let yourself be surrounded in light, like we did at the beginning of this talk here, at this, I mean, this service. Let your mind become still. Listen to the noise of the traffic. 
Listen to the gentle beating of your heart. Listen to the easy, taken care of for you breathing. Say some comforting words to yourself. Do anything, anything at all. Use any trick to bring your mind to rest. Then look in your heart and say, what would I like to do? You see that there's no rigidity about that. There's no right and wrong. What would I like to do? And I promise you that if you do this in peace, you will be responsible. You will be kind. And what you did will not hurt you. This seems an outrageous promise, doesn't it? I promise you that if you do something in peace, if you have made your decision from peace, it will not be a mistake and you will not regret it. I'm not saying that the world will suddenly give you everything your ego wants. I'm saying that there will be no harm done. You will not make a mistake if you decide in peace. But you must begin this process. You can't think about it. You must start with the little activities during the day. You must first see how highly conflicted you are about everything you do. How could you possibly be otherwise, given your personal history? But all of that conflict, all of those voices, grandma's voices and the teacher's voices and the friend's voices and the latest article's voice and all this stuff is only in one little part of your mind, which at this church we call the ego. It is not in your mind, which is as still and as peaceful and as happy as God, sink into that lake of a smile that is pure God, and then ask yourself, what do I want to do? And you will be responsible. You will be a good person, at least for as long as you are not conflicted. Now that conflict comes back, maybe in a few seconds, maybe in a few minutes, what do you do? You stop again. Ah, but that's impractical, isn't it? Let me tell you what a businesswoman told me this last week. Because she thought, when she heard that concept, that this was indeed a highly impractical uh, concept and that I could come up with such a concept only because I was one of those weird writers. And therefore, my time was my own, as opposed to your time, which is mortgaged. <laughs> Now, she decided to try it anyway. And as I told you last Sunday, it doesn't matter how you do this. There is no right way to do this. You can sit in any posture. You can close your eyes or not close your eyes. You can physically stop your body. And this is a very good thing to do because it tells your mind that this is important to you. Why did Brother Lawrence prostrate himself self, as he flipped the pancake? Do you think God cares about that? <laughs> closer to the ground is close, closer to thee. Of course not. Why did he do that? Because it was a powerful symbol to his mind that this was important. That's why he did it. And so stopping your body and closing your eyes are universal symbols. And you may see if they would help. But they are not required and of course there will be situations because the light has just turned and this is not the time for you to do it, do you see? 
Oh, here comes the semi. <laughs> so, of course, it's not required. But this woman has found that she is on the phone 100 separate times a day on average. Can you imagine that? This means an average workday, one phone call every four minutes. And so how is she going to pause? Her first thought was, if I pause and do this without conflict, I won't get anything done. But, of course, I'd said that it's not necessary to physically pause. This is a mental thing that you're doing. You're mentally pausing. Yes, it helps to stop the body if you can. And you'll find that it does not take up your time to do that. So what she did was that she surrounded the phone in light. Isn't that nice? The phone's ringing. She's about to pick it up. And she surrounds it in light. I know a holy man who went to Skaggs Alpha Beta. This is true. There has been a holy man in Skaggs Alpha Beta. It is all right indeed for you to go there. And the holy man found that there was a phone on sale and that it sounded like a cricket. And this man's phone rings, I'm sure, a hundred times a day. And I happened to hear his phone. I truly thought it was a cricket. I, I know, this guy's got the biggest cricket behind his couch I've ever heard. <laughs> so she just surrounds the phone in light. Do you see how that's a pausing, a stilling of the mind? It takes but an instant. Time is an ego concept. It doesn't require time for you to be a holy person. It requires intention, desire, willingness, the willingness to begin. Now, this businesswoman, with uh, her, I may be giving away the identity of this couple, her house husband, he, he is a house husband, and she is the business person of the family. Uh, and they have two very lovely girls. Uh, we, Gail and I, invite them to go out to... Uh, <laughs> I must admit it, we invite them to go out first to McDonald's <laughs> and then to Baskin-Robbins. Now... <laughs> no. <laughs> how, how old is she? How old is she? Six. The six-year-old said, that's not funny. <laughs> that's true. This is serious business. My son, John, would agree with you on that. Now, so as we stop before, uh, uh, <laughs> I can't even get the words out of my mouth. <laughs> McDonald's. Um, <laughs> they're so sticky with guilt. Now, as I as I did that, um, uh, I, we asked them, would they like to pause? And uh, they'd been to the dispensable church, and so they knew what that meant. And so 
we paused. But their two little girls didn't know. Now, John was in the back with the two little girls. And so as we were pausing, before we went in, we heard this conversation. The little girl said, John, what are they doing? And John said, they're pausing. <laughs> he said in such a way of, dummy, you ought to know what they're doing. They're pausing. And one of the little girls said, is that like praying? He said something. And they said, is the car broken? <laughs> but nevertheless, we did it, and we did it after we got out, and we did it before we went into Baskin-Robbins, and we did it after we got out of Baskin-Robbins. And, uh, and it was just fine. So the reason I mention that to you is you can go ahead and even do your peculiar little things in front of other people, and if you have a sense that they already know you're crazy, <laughs> it's all right to do this. So it, it would be all right even if you are the person, as this woman was, who was in charge of this office, if you began to adopt a practice of closing your eyes just a moment every once in a while. This, this is actually, I can tell you, your employees will love talking about this. This will give their uh, coffee break true spice. Now, we don't have much time left. Uh, and so I just want to mention one other concept to you this morning. And then we'll end with our benediction. There are two parts to this. It's completely up to you, but you can't do it without help. Two parts. It's completely up to you, but you've got to turn it all over to God. Those sound like contradictions, but they aren't. You've got to understand that it's all your responsibility and that the tone of your life is of your own setting. But if seeing that you have set an unhappy tone or an agitated tone or a fast tone, harried tone, martyred tone, forever sick tone, forever healthy tone, <laughs> then the dream is set up just as your dream last night was set up. And you are not going to change the nature of the dream except possibly the very small part of it that you seem to play. But you can rise above it. This whole world and your life in particular can become like, a, well, you know what it can become like? Have you ever seen a box full of newborn puppies? Now, <laughs> have you ever just sat over a box of newborn puppies and just smiled? If you've ever seen a box of newborn puppies, you paused. <laughs> and you looked at them for a moment. And you smiled. Now think what it would be like, however, if you were insane and you identified with one of those puppies. Suddenly you were in the body of one of those puppies, you thought. Can you see what a hell that would be? Scratching and clawing and you can't see anything and someone else has got the nipple and you want it and <laughs> someone is walking on top of your cute little pudgy body <laughs> and you're squealing and, I mean, gosh, wouldn't it be a nightmare? But it is never a nightmare when you look down at it, not in arrogance, 
but in true perspective, because you see it all. What do you see when you look down on a box of puppies? You see what they will become. You, in your own mind, are whispering, It's all right. Everything will turn out okay. I am with you. And you reach down, and you take this one little puppy that has three other puppies on top of it, and you just push it to the side, show him where to go, don't you? But if that little puppy could exert its will and say, no, I know this is the direction I must go, could you help it if you were to respect its will? And so it is with your Father in heaven. And so it is with your universal Father, Mother, God who watches over you. The higher teachers, the, the saints of heaven, the angels that were mentioned in our song this morning, respect your will and they wait for you to change your mind and then they help you. And so the last concept I want to leave with you is change it in the morning. Do this first thing. Do not talk of other things. Do not do other things until you have clearly set your purpose. I want to go a step further. I want to recommend that you set a single purpose for at least one week and that you word it in words that you love and that are crystal clear to you. Not perfect words, not the right words, but good, sound words heart-calling words that you love. So in the morning, first thing, turn your mind to this. This will make it so much easier on you if you do that. Set your purpose clearly and do not get up until it's set. See what you are alive for. What is it that you wish to do this one day? Gail uh, and I and uh, Melissa Poole and John and uh, if the amniocentesis test is correct because John said I turned it into a girl so we don't know what effect <laughs> but uh, if the amniocentesis is correct Jordan isn't that cute John and Jordan um, we all uh except for John and Jordan, who don't participate this in quite the cerebral way that we do, we set a single purpose. And the purpose uh, this week, our purpose, I just want to show you how this works, is today I will judge nothing that occurs. I will forgive everyone and everything. Now that's the purpose that we all have set. Now there is tremendous strength and power in agreement. This is why I've asked you not to recommend this church. Is because there is tremendous power and agreement. And if you go out and try to change someone's mind and haul them in here, it's going to hurt you because you will see they do not agree with you and you will go out feeling less sure about your particular chosen way. And so, of course, if someone asks you, 
Is there some meeting? Is there something I can go to? I need help. Where can I go? Then, of course, it's fine to mention this place if you think it might help. But don't look. Don't ask yourself, did they like it or what did they think or all that kind of stuff. There is tremendous strength in agreement. This is why you do not want to start arguments and state your opinion on every single subject. Because there is a scattering of the mind that takes place when you are surrounded by disagreement. And so why bring it on yourself and make things more difficult? And so we all join together with a single purpose. Now let me show you how this works. If you say, and this part is from A Course in Miracles, today I will judge nothing that occurs, let me show you how that works. Your purpose now is not the activities that you will engage in this day, and that I promise you will be your purpose if you don't do something else in the morning. Each activity holds within it a separate goal for you, a separate purpose, and you will automatically fall into it if you have not set an overall purpose in your heart. You will just do this because this is the way of the world. And so you will have a different purpose for every single thing you do during the day, and you'll wonder why you're so tired at night. And why you're so discouraged and why you're so scattered and why you're not making progress and why you have fights and all this other stuff. It's because your soul is shattered. At least you think it is. Now, if, for example, you were to set, say, that purpose, which we have for this week, today I will judge nothing that occurs. The more outrageous it is, the more it serves your purpose. Do you see that? Because your purpose is not to judge it. So how wonderful that it's outrageous. Because your purpose is to not judge it. In the second part, I will forgive everyone and everything. Simply brings love into it. Because we are speaking of the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness that understands that there is nothing that needs to be forgiven. The forgiveness that looks down on the puppies or looks down on the child that's having the nightmare and sees no, no sin in it, but waits patiently to be of help. Now let me tell you something before you leave. As you know, in that back room, there are things that have white sugar in them. But remember, you are a saint. And I got this from a first order saint. I kid you not. This is true. This saint said to me, a little sugar is a good thing. A little sugar is a good thing. Now, if you will go back to the back room, you will get enough sugar for the whole week. <laughs> Thanks for coming. <laughs>